caviar.com. Treat yourself to a tasting at home, introducing Petite Caviar 101, caviar, truffles, and more. Providing the world's best caviar for over 30 years, sustainable caviar, seasonal delights, boutique, grocery, family-owned and operated, provide, prove to supply the highest quality caviar available for over 30 years, 100% sustainable caviar, Israeli oyster, Belgian oyster, Idaho white sturgeon, Siberian sturgeon, Paddlefish, Ikea, National Overnight Shipping, Guaranteed National Next Day Overnight Shipping, Tuesday through Saturday, Same Day Local Pickup, Local Pickup and Curbside for Seattle, Ready Within Two Hours, Monday through Saturday, Next Day Local Delivery, Guaranteed Next Day Local Delivery for Seattle, Monday through Friday, Shop Grocery for such items like Bellwether Farms, Cream, Fresh, Betsy's Blink, Gluten-Free, Betsy's Blink, Black Truffle Butter, or Black Truffle Butter, White Truffle Oil, La Brugula, Yellowfin, Fina, Belly, and Olive Oil, Russell's Original Spice Blend, Truffle Salt, Shop for Hosting and Wares, such as Mother of Pearl Caviar Spoon, Mother of Pearl Spoon with Blue Handle, Great Barrier Reef Petite Spoon with Pointed Tip, Brown Mother Pearl Palette, Caviar Presentoir with Sterling Band, Petite Mother Pearl Caviar Spoon, St. Hilaire Modern Caviar Presentoir, Fructus Saturn Silver Flated Caviar Cup, and great homemade recipes and more like Mink, Mink, Mink Potato Rusty with Caviar and cream fresh, deviled quail eggs with caviar, blink with buckwheat. Bottlebeat.com, an easier way to study hard. Ask a question, you have homework questions, and Bottlebeat subject matter experts have answers. Ask away, most questions are answered in as fast as 30 minutes, and you'll be notified by email when your answer is ready. Find a solution, proofread your paper. Bartleby experts will look over your paper with their advanced grammar and spell checkers. Bartleby Learned access step-by-step solutions to millions of textbook problems, a searchable database of solutions to homework questions, and subject matter experts on standby 24-7 when you're stuck. Bartleby Write. Write better right now. Scan for accidental plagiarism, check spelling and grammar, and format citations correctly so you can spend less time writing and get the grade you want. Bartleby Tutor, 24-7 online tutoring service, gives you a personalized instruction you want and the flexibility you demand. With convenient options, you can find the best fit for your lifestyle and study habits. Bartleby Learn, search, solve, succeed. Study smarter with access to millions of step-by-step textbook solutions, a searchable digital database of homework solutions, and subject matter experts on standby 24-7 to provide homework help when you need it. Subscribe and your first week is $4.99. After your first week, subscription auto-renews monthly to $9.99 USD or the then-monthly current fee for Cancel anytime. Winning lineup of student tools. Textbook solutions. Millions of step-by-step solutions with thousands added daily in 30 subjects. Expert Q&A. Ask the experts your most 
troublesome homework or study questions anytime and receive a detailed solution in as fast as 30 minutes. 24-7 homework help. Part of the subject matter experts month, many with advanced degrees are always on standby to ease your concerns and get you back on track. Solution database. Homework solutions are easily searchable and constantly updated quickly. Find what you need to save it later and access from a mobile device. Try it today. Study on the go. Problem solved. Maximize your study time and get homework help anytime, anywhere with Bartleby app. Ask or snap a homework questions, search textbook solutions, and get answer notifications right from your device. Download on the App Store or Google Play today. Bartleby right. Compose with confidence. Quit starting Quit staring at a blinking cursor. Easier essay composition is right here with your new favorite pleasures and grammar checker. Their one all-in-one writing help tool is designed to reduce mistakes, improve writing habits, and transform okay essays into stellar ones. So you can submit your paper with confidence, all for only $9.99 a month. Try Bridal Be Right. 24-7 Personal Writing Tutor. Plagiarism checker, Bottery will help you catch missing quotations, accidental copy text, and other mistakes, giving you supreme confidence in your original work. Grammar and spell checker, author your own success story with writing help to eliminate mistakes, early scoring, Bartleby's advanced algorithm science, scans your paper and compares it to thousands of simpler papers to produce a score before you can turn it in. Citation assistance, whether it's MLA grammar checks or APA assistance, citing source with in a cinch, try it today. Bartleby Tutor, one-on-one tutoring on your schedule, whether it's a one-time question or a homework problem that needs a private study session. Solution, Bartleby's got you. They're a team of live tutors and are, are available 24-7. Get started today with a free 15-minute session on them. Find a tutor. Get a tutor at your computer. All tutoring sessions occur in real time via messaging or audio for easy collaboration on homework help, textbook solutions, and more. 24-7 availability. Tutors are on demand day or night and can accommodate your school and life balance when you're ready to study. So is Bartleby. Flexible options. Don't pay for tutoring time. You won't use by 30, 60, 120 minute increments. Whichever best fits your skin needs, didn't use all your minutes, roll them over to another session. Many subjects, tutors are available in over 20 subjects. Bartleby experts will help make sense of your toughest concepts in engineering, math, physics, business, and more. Find a tutor ready to get started. Sign up for 24-7 homework help now. Here is part two of U.S. President... Number 38, Gerald R. Ford. <coughs> Vice Presidency, 1973 to 1974. To become House Speaker, Ford worked to help Republicans across the country get a majority in the chamber, often traveling on the rubber chicken circuit. After a decade of failing to do so, he promised his wife that he would try again in 1974, then retired in 1976. On October 10, 1973, Vice President Spiro Agnew resigned and then pleaded no contest to criminal charges of tax evasion and money laundering, part of, the, of a negotiated resolution to a scheme in which he accepted 
$29,500 in bribes while governor of Maryland. According to the New York Times, Nixon sought advice from senior congressional leaders about a replacement. The advice was unanimous. It gave Nixon no choice but Ford. House Speaker Carl Albert recalled later Ford agreed to the nomination, telling his wife that the vice president would be a nice conclusion to his career. Ford was nominated to take Agnew's position on October 12th, the first time the vice president's vacancy provision of the 25th Amendment had been implemented. The United States Senate voted 92 to 3 to confirm Ford on November 27th. On December 6, 1973, the House confirmed Ford by a vote of 387 to 35. After the confirmation vote in the House, Ford took an oath of office as vice president of the United States. Ford became vice president as the Watergate scandal was unfolding. On Thursday, August 1st, 1974, Chief of Staff Alexander Haig contacted Ford to tell him to prepare for the presidency. At the time, Ford and his wife Betty were living in suburban Virginia, waiting for their expensive move to the newly designated vice president's residence in Washington, D.C. However, Al Haig asked to come over and see me. Ford later said to tell me that there would be a new tape released on Monday, and he said the evidence in there was devastating and there would be... A there would probably be either an impeachment or a resignation. And he said, I'm just warning you that you've got to be prepared, prepared that things might change dramatically and you could become president. And I said, Betty, I don't think we've ever going, we're ever going to live in the vice president's house. Presidency, 1974 to 1977. When Nixon resigned on August 9, 1974, automatically assumed the president. This made him the only person to become the nation's chief executive without having been previously voted into either the presidential or vice president office by the Electoral College. Immediately after Ford took the oath of office in the East Room of the White House, he spoke to the assembled audience in a speech that was broadcast live to the nation. Ford noted the peculiarity of his position. I am acutely aware that you have not elected me as your president by your ballots, so I ask you to confirm me as your president with your prayers. He went on to state, I have not sought this enormous responsibility, but I will sure I will not shirk it. Those who nominated and confirmed me as vice president were my friends and, and are my friends. They were of both parties elected by all the people acting under the Constitution in their name. It is only fitting that when then that I should pledge to them and to you that I will be the president of all the people. He also stated, my fellow Americans, our long, time, our long national nightmare is over. Our constitution works. Our great republic is a government of laws and not of men. Here the people rule, but there is a higher power. But whatever name we honor him who ordains not only righteousness, but love, but not only justice, but mercy, let us restore the golden rule to our political process and let brotherly love purge our hearts of suspicion and hate. The portion of the speech would later be memorialized with a plaque at the entrance to his presidential museum. On August 20th, Ford nominated former New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller to fill the vice president he had vacated. Rockefeller's top competitor had been George H.W. Bush. Rockefeller underwent extended hearings before Congress, which caused dis- caused embarrassment when it was revealed he made large gifts to senior aides, such as Henry Kissinger, although conservative Republicans were not pleased that Rockefeller was picked. Most of them voted for his confirmation and his nomination passed both the House and Senate. Some, including Barry Goldwater, voted against him. Pardon of Nixon On September 8, 1974, Ford issued Proclamation 4311, 
which gave Nixon a full and unconditional pardon for any crimes he might have committed against the United States while president. In a televised broadcast to the nation, Ford explained that he felt the pardon was a bit, was in the best interest of the country and that the Nixon family's situation is a tragedy in which we all have played a part. It could go on and on and on, or someone must write, to, write the end to it. I have concluded that only I can do that, and if I can, I must. Ford's decision to pardon Nixon was highly controversial. Critics derided the move and said a corrupt bargain that had been struck between the men. They said that Ford's pardon was granted in exchange for Nixon's resignation, which had elevated Ford to the presidency. Ford's first press secretary and close friend, Gerald Turhorse, resigned his post in protest after the pardon. According to Bob Woodard, Nixon's chief of staff, Alexander Haig, Proposed a pardon deal to Ford. He later decided to pardon Nixon for other reasons, primarily the friendship he and Nixon shared. Regardless, historians believe the controversy is one of the major reasons Ford lost the 1976 presidential election and an observation with which Ford agreed. In an editorial at the time, the New York Times stated that the Nixon pardon was a profoundly unwise, divisive, and unjust act that in a stroke had destroyed the pre- new president's credibility as a man of judgment, candor, and confidence. On October 17, 1974, Ford tested before Congress on the pardon. He was the first sitting president since Abraham Lincoln to testify before the House of Representatives. In the months following the pardon, Ford often declined to mention President Nixon by name, referred to him in public as my predecessor or the former president. Then, on a 1974 trip to California, White House correspondent Fred Barnes pressed Ford on the matter. Ford replied in a surprisingly frank manner, I just can't bring myself to do it. After Ford left the White House in January 1977, he probably justified his, his pardon of Nixon by carrying his wallet, in his wallet a portion of the text of Burdick versus the United States. and 1915 U.S. Supreme Court decision was stated that a pardon indicated a presumption of guilt and that a sentence of a pardon was tantamount to a confession that of that guilt. In 2001, the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation awarded the John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award to Ford for his pardon of Nixon. In presenting the award to Ford, Senator Edward Kennedy said that he had initially been opposed to the pardon, but later decided that his had proved Ford to have made the correct decision. Draft Dodgers and Deserters on September 16th, shortly after he pardoned Nixon, Ford issued Presidential Proclamation 4313, which introduced a conditional amnesty program for military deserters and Vietnam War draft dodgers who had fled to countries such as Canada. The conditions of the amnesty required that those reaffirm their allegiance to the United States and serve two years working in a public service job or a total two years service for those who had served less than two years of honorable service in the military. The program for the return of Vietnam era draft evaders, <coughs> draft evaders and military deserters established a clemency board to review the records <coughs> and make recommendations for receiving a presidential pardon and a change in military discharge status. Full pardon for draft judges came in the Carter administration. Administration 
When Ford assumed office, he inherited Nixon's cabinet during his brief administration. He replaced all members except Secretary of State Kissinger and Secretary of Treasury William E. Simon. Political commentators have referred to Ford's dramatic reorganization of his cabinet in the fall of 1971 as the Halloween Massacre. One of Ford's appointees, William Coleman, the Secretary of Transportation, was the second black man to serve in the presidential cabinet after Robert C. Weaver and the first appointed in the Republican administration. Ford selected George H.W. Bush as chief of the U.S. liaison office to the People's Republic of China in 1974 and then director of Central Intelligence Agency in late 1975. Ford's transition chairman and first chief of staff was former Congress- congressman and ambassador Donald Rumsfeld. In 1974, Rumsfeld was named by Ford as the youngest ever Secretary of Defense. Ford chose a young Wyoming politician, Richard Cheney, to replace Rumsfeld as new chief of staff. Cheney became the campaign manager for Ford's 1970 presidential campaign. Midterm elections. In the 1974 congressional midterm elections took place in the wake of the Watergate scandal less than three months after Ford assumed office. The Democratic Party turned voter dissatisfaction into large gains in the House elections, taking 49 seats from the Republican Party, increasing their majority to 291 of the four. 135 seats. This is one more than the number needed to 94, a two-thirds majority, the number necessary to override a presidential veto or to propose a congressional amendment. Perhaps due in part to this fact, the 94th Congress overrode the highest percentage of vetoes since a- Andrew Johnson was president of the United States, 1865 to 1869. Even Ford's former. Pub- Former reliable Republican House seat was won by a Democrat, Richard Vanderveen, who defeated Robert Vanderland in the Senate elections. The Democrat majority became 61 in a 100 seat body. Domestic policy inflation. The economy was a great concern during the Ford administration. One of the first acts the new president took to deal with the economy was to create by executive order on September 30, 1974, the economic <laughs> Policy Board on October 1974 in response to rising inflation, Ford went before the American public and asked them to whip inflation now. As part of this program, he urged people to wear wind buttons. At the time, inflation was believed to be the primary threat to the economy, more so than growing unemployment. There was a belief that controlling inflation would help reduce unemployment to rain in rain in inflation, it was necessary to control the public spending to try to mesh service and sacrifice wind called for Americans to reduce their spending and consumption. On October 4, 1974, Fred gave a speech in front of a joint session of Congress as a <coughs> part of his speech. <coughs> he kicked off the wind campaign. Over the next nine days, 101,240 Americans mailed in wind pledges. In hindsight, this is viewed as simply a public relations gimmick, which had no way of solving the underlying programs. The main point of that speech was to reduce to Congress a one-year 5% income tax increase on corporations and wealthy individuals. This time will also take a $4.4 billion out of the budget, bringing federal spending below $300 billion at the time inflation was over 12%. Budget. The federal budget ran a deficit every year Ford was president. Despite his reservations about how the program ultimately would be funded in an era of tight public budgeting, Ford signed the Education for All Handicapped Children Act of 1975, 
which established special education throughout the United States, four expressed strong support for full education opportunities for handicapped children, according to the official White House press release for the bill signing. The economic flows began to change as the country sank into the worst recession since the Great Depression four decades earlier. The focus of the Ford administration turned to stopping the rise of unemployment, which reached 9% in May 1975. In January 1975, Ford proposed a one-year tax reduction of $16 billion to stimulate economic growth along with spending cuts to avoid inflation. Ford was criticized greatly for quickly switching from advocating a tax increase to a tax reduction in Congress. The proposed amount of the tax reduction increased to $22.8 billion in tax cuts and lax spending cuts. In March 1975, Congress passed and Ford signed into law these income tax rebates as part of the in- Tax Reduction Act of 1975. This resulted in a federal tax of around $53 billion for the 1975 fiscal year and $73.7 billion for 1976. When New York City faced bankruptcy in 1975, Mayor Abraham Beam was unsuccessful in obtaining Ford support for a federal bailout. The incident prompted the New York Daily News previous headline Ford to City Drop Dead, referring to a speech dead in, in which Ford declared flatly that he would veto any bill calling for a federal bailout of the New York City. Swine flu. Ford was confronted with a potential swine flu pandemic in the early 1970s and influence of strain H1N1 shifted from a form of flu that affected primarily pigs and crossed over to humans. On February 5, 1976, an army recruit at Fort Dix mysteriously died of four fil- and four fellow soldiers were hospitalized. Health officials announced that swine flu was the cause. Soon after, public health officials and the Ford administration urged that every person in the United States be vaccinated. Although the vaccination program was plagued by delays and public relations problems, some 25% of the published population was vaccinated by the time the program was canceled in December 1976. Other domestic issues, Ford was an outspoken supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment, issuing Presidential Proclamation No. 4383 in 1975. In this land of the free is right, <coughs> and by nature it ought to be that all men and all women are equal before the law. Now, therefore, I, Gerald R. Ford, President of the United States of America, to remind all Americans that it is fitting and just to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment adopted by the Congress of the United States of America in order to secure legal equality for all women and men, do hereby designate and proclaim August 26, 1975 as Women's Equality Day. As President Ford's position on abortion was that he supported a federal constitutional amendment that would permit each one of the 50 states to make the choice. This had also been his position as White House Minority Leader in response to the 1973 Supreme Court case of Roe v. Wade, which he opposed. Ford became under criticism for a 60 Minutes interview his wife Betty gave in 1975, in which she said that Roe v. Wade was a great, great decision. During his later life, Ford would identify as pro-choice. Foreign policy, Ford continued to the detentive policy with both the Soviet Union and China, easing the tensions of the Cold War. Still in place from the Nixon administration was the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty, SALT. The thawing relationship brought about by Nixon's visit to China was reinforced by Ford's own visit in December 1975. The administration entered into the Helsinki Accords with the Soviet Union in 1975, creating the framework of the Helsinki Watch, an independent non-governmental organization created to monitor compliance, which later evolved into Human Rights Watch. Ford attended the inaugural meeting of the group of G 
of the group of seven G7 industrialized nations, initiated the G5 in 1975 and secured membership for Canada. Ford supported international solutions to issues. We live in an independent world and therefore must work together to resolve common economic problems, he said in a 1974 speech. According to internal White House and Commission documents posted in February 2016, by the National Security Archive at the George Washington University, the Gerald Ford White House specifically authored the final report of the supposedly independent 1975 Rockefeller Commission investigated CIA domestic activities over the objections of senior commission staff. The changes included removal of an entire 86-page section of, on CIA assassination plots and numerous edits to the report by then-Deputy White House Chief of Staff Richard Cheney. Middle East In the Middle East, in Eastern Mediterranean, two ongoing international disputes developed into crises. The Cyprus dispute turned into a crisis with the Turkish invasion of Cyprus in July 1974 caused extreme strain within the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO alliance. In mid-August, the Greek government withdrew Greece from the NATO military structure. In mid-September, the Senate and House of Representatives overwhelmingly voted to halt military aid to Turkey for concern with both the effect of this on Turkey's American relations and the deterioration of security on NATO's eastern front vetoed the bill. A second bill was then passed by Congress, which Ford also vetoed, although a compromise was accepted to continue aid until the end of the year. As Ford expected, Turkish relations were considerably disrupted until 1978. In the continued Arab-Israeli conflict, although the initial ceasefire had been implemented to end active conflict in the Yom Kippur War, Kissinger's continued show this morning was showing little progress. Ford considered stalling and wrote their Israeli tactics frustrated the Egyptians and made me mad as hell. During Kissinger's shuttle to Israel in early March 1975, a last minute reversal to consider further withdrawal prompted a cable from Ford to Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, which included I wish to express my profound disappointment over Israel's attitude in the course of the negotiations. Failure of the negotiations will have a far reaching impact on the region and our relations. I have given instructions for a reassessment of United States policy in the region, including our relations with Israel, with the aim of ensuring that overall American interests are protected. You will be notified of our decision. On March 24th, Ford informed the congressional leaders of both parties of the reassessment of the administration's policies in the Middle East. Reassessment in practical terms meant canceling or suspending further aid to Israel. For six months between March and September 1975, the United States refused to conclude any new arms agreements with Israel. Rabin notes it was an instant sounding term that held one of the worst periods in American-Israeli relations. The announced reassessment of the American Jewish community and Israel's well-wishes in Congress. On May 21st, Ford experienced the real shock when 76 U.S. senators wrote him a letter urging him to be responsive to Israel's request for $2.5 billion, equivalent to $12.31 billion in 2019 in military and economic aid. Phil Ford felt truly annoyed and thought the chance for peace was jeopardized. It was since September 1997 banned on, on arms to Turkey, the second major congressional intrusion upon the president's foreign policy prerogatives. The following summer months were described by Ford as an, over, as an American-Israeli war of nerves or test of wills. After much bargaining, the Sinai Interim Agreement, Sinai II, was formally resigned on September 1st, and aid resumed. Thank you for listening to this second part of... U.S. President number 38, Gerald R. Ford. Stay tuned next time for part three. Have a good week. Stay safe out there, and thank you for listening.